You're listening to the Arise Church Podcast. We are an Acts 29 church in Ventura, California, where we exalt Christ, embrace community, and engage culture. Find out more info or hear more sermons at our website, ariseventura.com. Thanks for listening. Am I good? Hey, I know you guys... Always tell me I don't really need a mic anyway, but uh, can you hear me through the speakers? Yeah. We're good. All right. Perfect. Uh, Well, good morning. morning. Open up your Bible with me to John chapter 17. John 17 verses 19 to 24. Read this way. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in the truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them and loved, I'm sorry, and loved them even as you loved me. Father, this is our prayer. Lord Jesus, this is your prayer. Spirit, would you answer Jeff's prayer this morning and helping us to live into that as we learn, as we walk as disciples and as we flesh out who we are in Christ as the church. Amen. 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 We've been in a series called Be Be the Church and we... um, I think had a bit of a disruption that I appreciate because as time would go, what we thought we'd talk about for six months in January uh, needed to shift. If you remember, we talked about as the church, we believe together and we become together. We belong together. And last uh, month, Barry brought us to remembering that we are committed to care. Today, I want to highlight that we are one and that we are to be one. Um, as we continue our series, John chapter 17, is anybody familiar with it? What is it called? The high priestly prayer. I thought somebody would have joined me with that. The high priestly prayer is commonly (laughs) referred to that way. Uh, in ancient Israel, the high priest wore a breastplate around his neck. And whenever he entered into the holy place, then what he do is he would walk in with this breastplate that had 12 colorful stones embedded into it, each one for each one of the tribes of Israel. In other words, when the high priest came before God to represent the people before God and to pray and to intercede on their behalf, he came before God in the tabernacle or in the temple, not alone. He brought all of the people of God with him. 
Jesus's prayer here is of the exact same sort. He doesn't come to the father by himself or for himself, but he bears all of our names on his heart. Presenting us to the father and praying for not just those disciples who were there, but for you and I. In examining his prayer, I think it's interesting to find out what means the most to Christ in prayer. Think about it. This is what the Lord prays for us. He could have prayed for and asked for a whole host of things. He could have asked for anything. But he prayed that we would be one. Did you catch it? He asked for us in a striking, I think, way to be unified. I looked up the definition for one, just our common English definition. And I want us to carry this in mind as we think about it moving forward. One is the fact or state of being unified or whole. Even though you're comprised of various parts. The state of being whole or unified, though comprised of various parts, two or more. When you think about one, you should think about oneness. You should think about, as I just said a second ago, unity. You should think about something that has integrity as it's held together. You should think about harmony. Jesus prayed that that would be ours and that we'd be that in the church. The state of being completely unified. As we make up one thing and one people and one church. I just want to make three observations from these verses because I think it is very important for us. Honestly, if you feel like you've heard this before, praise God. And honestly, I'm going to tell you right now. Each of you, if you've been attending a rise for any time, should be able to go and to preach this message. Because this is who God has called us to be. Does that make sense? That's why we revisit it over and over and over again. Our unity matters. I want us to make three observations from those five verses that we just read. The first one comes from the first two verses, 17 down to 20 or uh, 17 verse 19 down to 21. And here's what the point is for our note takers. That unity is a reality, not a goal. Unity is a reality, not a goal. Jesus said, for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's why I said he's not just praying for the disciples. He prayed for you. He knows your name. He's bringing you before the father and he's asking for you to be unified. For those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. When Jesus said that he consecrates himself, that's a word that sometimes we don't use in our kind of slanguage, right? The casual nature of living on the coast in California or whatnot. We don't talk about consecration as much, but we actually get to have a ceremonious couple of things uh, today that will show us what it means to set something apart. That's what it means to consecrate. To set something or someone's heart apart to purify or to make holy. Jesus uses that word about himself in the first person singular. He says, I consecrate myself. 
He's setting himself apart to the effect that we too would be set apart as holy. It could be understood in the same sense that the prophets and the priests were set apart. If you are familiar with the Old Testament, you just know that they were consecrated or they were set apart for their ministry or for their task. It says it over and over again. But when Jesus speaks of consecrating or setting himself apart, he's not thinking about Isaiah. He's thinking about all the lambs that have had their blood shed in Israel. The choice lamb, the spotless lamb. Out of all your sheep, I want you to consecrate that clean one and bring it before me as a sacrifice to make atonement for the sins in your household, systematically teaching you what the people of Israel would have been very familiar with. And Christ is thinking of himself as a sacrificial lamb. I don't think you need me to remind you that he did consecrate himself, but can I remind you about the fact that this is actually the high priestly prayer the night before he would go to be crucified. Jesus is praying in the garden of Gethsemane. This is his last intercession on our behalf. And he's serious. The Bible tells us he's sweating as though drops of blood in these moments. Set in the context for you. And so he's making intercession for us and setting himself apart to do the will of the father. That is to go to the cross and to die. Does that make sense? I always like to set the context and make sure we're understanding it. But he said he consecrated himself that we also would be sanctified in the truth. You see that in your Bible. Christ has already prayed that we would be sanctified in the truth. Back in verse number 17, he asks for it. If you look at John 17, verse number 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. He prayed that we would be set apart, purified, made holy in the truth, not in our opinions, not in our religion, not in what we wear or what we don't wear. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Right. And what is the truth other than the gospel, the good news of what God has done to restore and to redeem all humanity from the first page of your Bible? To the last page of your Bible is a story of redemption in Jesus Christ and none other than him. And he said, God, I want you to sanctify them in the truth of that message. It's interesting that my English translation actually had sanctify there when it's the same root word that he used for consecrate. But the difference is that this time he uses it in a passive plural. What Jesus did and said he did for himself and by himself, he did to the effect that we would benefit from it. I consecrate myself that they would be sanctified. Do you see it? I am the one who does the work that they would receive it. There should be some amens and hallelujahs on the back end of that. What Christ did for himself and by himself, he did to the effect that we would benefit from it because he went to the cross, not because he had sin. He went to the cross because we had sin. And so he died in our place and he atoned for that. And what else was the effect back in verse number 19? After he said, I'm asking for Jamie and I'm asking for uh, Cooper and I'm asking for all those who would believe on their behalf. He said to the effect that they might all be one. And that's our message for today. 
The ultimate object of Jesus's request is the unity of the disciples and all who would believe after them. The unity of the disciples and all who would believe after them. Unity speaks to our spiritual union with Christ and the fellowship with him and one another that ensues behind it. Union with Christ means that we become his body, means that we are adopted into God's family through the son. And it's compared. Did you notice or have you ever noticed if you were to read through the entire chapter of uh, uh, 17 that is compared with the unity that eternally exists between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's not just like God do something different. He said, no, give them the oneness that you and I have. You and me and I in you. He didn't just say, hey, make them into something new. He said, no, make them like us. We're created in the image and likeness of God and we are always supposed to be in fellowship with God in that way. And division and all kinds of depravity tore the whole world apart to where human beings, oh man, we don't like each other. Parents against parents, tribes against tribes, people groups against people groups, male against female, rich versus poor. There's been division all throughout the world. And now he says, I'm praying for those who believe on their account, that they would actually be one like us. That's redemption, y'all. It's interesting that as you look at this, I, at least for me, I thought this week, the world actually sets all these goals and they form coalitions trying to bring about diversity and trying to increase those things. Have you ever noticed that? But there's rarely unity, at least in my perspective and experience. I know for a fact that the gospel creates oneness by abolishing separation and creating a new humanity in a new society, in a new family called the church, and that nothing else can do that. Nothing else can do that. The kind of oneness that he's talking about, that the father has with the son, it only can be accomplished through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so when we say be, we're not talking as nece uh, necessarily about something that ought to happen from your own like exercise of, go start doing that, at least not yet. What we're actually talking about is the fact that this is what Christ prayed for and this is who the church is. Those are the next words on my sheet that the church is already one in Jesus Christ. Let me remind you of just what the point is that we're talking about. Unity is a reality, not a goal. Unity is a reality, not a goal. Remember, this is in the form of a prayer. It's not a command. This is Christ praying on our behalf to the father for what is most important for him. He didn't say, try your hardest to be united. He didn't say, uh, go out there and try to make that thing work. Instead, he said, father, may they all be one. This is an important distinction because if Jesus really prays that we would all be one, you and I have to answer the question, does the father answer the son's prayers? And does he answer them affirming as a yes? Yes and amen. That's why I say unity is, a, is not a goal, it's a reality. It's not something that we have to strive for. It's just something that we understand is certain and it is true. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote these words in his book, Life Together. He said, Christian community is not an ideal that we get to realize, 
but rather a reality that's created by God in Christ that we get to participate in. Community, Christian community, unity. It's not an ideal that we get to bring about. It's something that is true that we get to participate in. And this means that you don't have to create it. You can live it in one short phrase. Be who you are. Be who you are. The church is united in Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, we're not left with the responsibility of doing. We are blessed with the opportunity of being so different. We are not burdened by going out and trying to manufacture something. We're blessed with the opportunity to enjoy something that is otherworldly. And you don't find it anywhere else but in the church. When I say be who you are, I have a double meaning in mind. The second point I want to give us this morning is that unity is not uniformity. You guys have heard me on that all the time. But may we never forget that unity is not uniformity. Look back at John chapter 17, verse 21 with me. Verse 21 says, I'm praying that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Our oneness has its eternal origin in the relationship of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But what do we know about the Trinity? You know what? You guys are getting a little less like active. Like somebody can yell at me or shout at me, talk back. All right. So when I'm asking these questions, y'all know it's not rhetorical. What do we know at the, uh, about the Trinity? Three distinct persons. Distinct but one. Three in one. It may be true that our unity is off oftentimes because our theology is. Have we not remembered or understood that the truth is the Godhead is three in one. All distinct, though, one. He says, make them like that. Why is that important? Well, again, unity is not uniformity. The father is not the son. The son is not the spirit. The spirit is not the father. All of them are God equally. They're all God. Essentially, they're God, all God eternally. And in the same way, God is one. Though he's father, son and Holy Spirit, we're called to be a beautiful unity that is in diversity. We're called to be a beautiful unity in diversity. When I come to think of this, I often think about that harmony, right? The harmony of a symphony. You may have heard me speak this way before, that God plays the symphony of our salvation in three movements, which is facilitated by the different persons of the Trinity. You have the Father. Salvation originates with the Father. The Son brings salvation into fruition. And what does the Spirit do? Communicate salvation to us, through us and confirms it. It's this oneness that is the foundation for our oneness. Our unity as the church is not based on a common goal or a common uh, enemy. It's not based on all the commonalities that we could come up with. It's based on the eternal unity of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it begins and ends with who we believe and what we believe uh, about who Christ is and what he's done. 
this last Friday, we had our leadership community, our leadership team is in like a learning community. And so for six weeks straight, we're working through a little bit of material. And we're having a conversation and Cassie stopped us all and reminded us of, of something that I just thought, you know what? It would be really good for all of us to come to that. She just wanted us to realize what had struck her. And it was this very simple truth. But we have to remember it, y'all. That everything that we do and all of who we are is for God's glory. It's for God's glory, his fame. We see a picture of who he is. We display that even as image bearers, true or not true. We don't we reflect him. That's why we don't show off who we are. We don't glory in those things that would, uh, you know, be, be pomp and circumstance about our own flesh. We point to the beauty and the majesty of him. Here's why I think that's important today, because when glory, when God's glory is our aim, his purposes, including unity, will be accomplished in us because we're just living out our potential. When God's glory is our aim, his purposes, which include this oneness that Christ prayed for, will be accomplished in us just because we're living out who we are. When we were studying Colossians chapter three last year or two years ago, around this time, it was about two years ago, I made a comparison of our unity uh, to a symphony. So has it occurred to you, right, that 100 pianos don't get tuned to each other. They get tuned to the same fork. You may or may not remember that. And as they're tuned to the same fork, they're automatically tuned to one another. They're of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which one must individually bow, each piano bowing to that note, to that note. And that is what unifies the symphony. Got some musicians here who can say amen to that. <laughs> and so in the same way, a hundred worshipers or less or more doing life together in community, each one looking away to uh, looking away to Christ and bowing to Christ are in heart nearer to one another than they could ever possibly be if they were to become unity conscious and turn their eyes towards each other and try to make something of it. Our eyes are on God to strive towards him. And that makes us closer in fellowship. And I think that is the danger of pursuing unity and diversity the way the world does. If we're not careful, we treat diverse church attendance like sporting events. Everybody slap on a jersey, high five, and then go back to not loving or caring about one another whatsoever in your regular life. Why? Because we take our eyes off of Jesus. We take our eyes off of Christ and we start looking at each other. Here's the br brutal truth. You ugly. I'm ugly. Which one of y'all thinks that their sin is pretty? None of us. The only way you ever going to look good to me and I'm ever going to be looking good to you is if you're looking to Christ. And that has to be the thing. We have to be those who look to heaven, look to him, look to his standard, not look across at one another. Man, God help us. This means that I got to look at him and not you. And when we start looking around the room and posing for diversity pictures or whatever else in search of harmony, we get off key. <laughs> Illustration closed. So here, here's the thing. This is what defines and accomplishes our unity. It's this union, uh, union with Christ and but I'm, I'm actually saying unity is not uniformity. 
because the gospel has reconciled worshipers together from all kinds of contexts and backgrounds. People from every culture, people from every class, all come to God on the same level plane. It's unity by design because it's just the same way that God himself exists. God intended for there to be differences, not between us, among us. When we talk about unity in diversity, we're talking about celebrating the differences among us, just like we can say the father initiated and the son brought it to fruition. Celebrating the differences among us is different than talking about differences between us. When we get to heaven, we shouldn't be shocked to find out that the gospel shattered divisions, but it didn't do nothing to the distinctions. Why do I say that? Revelation chapter five, verse nine, they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seal for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people. For God from every tribe and language and people and nation and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on earth. That was the song that was saying two chapters later. We actually get to peer in on this. And John saw a vision. He said, after this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hand. Can I just summarize that for you? John looked and he saw heaven. And when he saw heaven, he didn't see this this plain thing where everybody became ghost and invisible. No, he saw black, white, brown, rich, poor, male, female, tall, short. He saw it all. And when he saw them, he saw them all unified. Why? Because they were clothed in white robes. Whose robe is that? The righteousness of Christ clothed all of them. All of their stains were gone away. The unity that he saw did not create uniformity. It was a beautiful display of unity and diversity. And we have to be careful to remember that because I think that we can get into a spot where we try to think that uh, oneness is about sameness. Oneness is not about sameness. The church Christ prayed for and died for is a place where we work for integration, not assimilation. In the church, we work for integration, not assimilation. Let me give you our last point on that. Oneness is about witness. So the first one was what? Unity is a goal, not a reality. Second one was that unity is not uniformity. And this last point is that oneness is about witness. You probably just saw it jumps right out at you in the text. John 17, verse 22 and 23. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one. I mean, he just said it three times over and then just said, and perfectly one. So that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Have you ever considered that there's a sense in which advancing the gospel as a community of people actually hinges on our oneness? Advancing the good news of what God has done in Christ to reconcile Jew and Gentile together by grace through faith hinges on the fact that when you look at communities who profess that they're not factions and cliquish and caring less about one another. No, they are inextricably tied together as one body in a unity. Have you ever considered that? Jesus is so that it means to the effect of or in order to. 
And the thing is, Christian unity makes a gospel appeal to the world. The presence of the church worshiping as families makes up for Jesus's or for the absence of Jesus's walking in the flesh. Let me say that again. The presence of the church worshiping as families makes up for the absence of Jesus walking in the flesh. That we are a visible, tangible expression of that gospel that we preach and proclaim. The harmony of the church is a gospel presentation, friends. I love your Roman road. I love the gospel tracks that Kimo always drops off here. I love the fact that there may be something that you can recite to people. I love these things. But the unity of the church, according to Christ's prayer, is a gospel presentation. The church is meant to be a snapshot of heaven, like we just read from Revelation. So here's the thing, though we're unified and it is true and it, it's not something that we can change. There is a fact uh, in place that God does kind of call us to work towards that. You remember those verses, be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bound of peace. He wants us to maintain unity. And Paul took this up and the apostles took up this truth and made it practical for Jews and Gentiles who were coming together in ways that they had never fellowship for people who were now all of a sudden rich and poor, slave and free, walking and worshiping and working together, but never having done that. They made it practical. I just want to read something and draw three quick snapshots from it. Philippians chapter two. If you want to join me there, I'm going to read verses one through four. And the reason why I do this is because, you know, sometimes we come to things like this and say, OK, well, how do I make that practical? OK, well, you asked for it. And when I say, well, you asked for it, just remember, if you can't say amen, you can say ouch. OK, Philippians chapter two, verses one to four. So if there is an any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love. Being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. In verse two, which is what I want to hone in on, but in the context of all four. Verse two, Paul uses three different short phrases to say one thing. Be one. The first thing he said is same mind. He tells us we're to have the same mind. This means to be like minded. The word has to do with our attitudes, y'all. We need to have attitudes that are like. You can be unified with somebody who has different opinions on than you for sure and believes all kinds of various things. Right. As long as you both have the same attitudes or orientation in life. Again, if you can't say amen, you can say ouch. <laughs> Maybe you say ouch when you read Uncle Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon said to have unity and harmony, you need first to have humility, which is why Paul backed up to it in verse number three or backs up this point of same mind to it in verse number three. He says to have unity and harmony, you need to have first humility. People stop quarreling when their ambitions have come to an end. When everyone I hear them, I hear those ouches. All right. When everyone is willing to be at least 
Everyone is willing to be last when everyone else desires to place others higher than themselves. Oh, there's an end to contentious cliques, factions and divisions. They pass away. I'll go on to the second one because I'm getting long here. Same love. He said, not just be same mind, but same love. The second phrase, right? It's having the same love in order to have unity. We have to love the same things. And that should be clear and it should be easy for us. If we think about you and I love the word of God. And we both profess to love God. And to highly value things like faith, hope and love and perseverance and compassion. And we both love the church and we live for the glory of God. And we both delight in seeing worshiping hearts, seeing new people added to the church, seeing children born into families. We both we all love all those things. If we have all that in common, then we can disagree on quite a bit, but still have this stuff, the oneness and the unity. Man, help us, Lord. (laughs) (laughs) We can disagree about all kinds of politics and everything else and still not have any relationship problems. Uh, If we have the same loves and the same mind. And not only that. I think it's because of the third element of unity he talks about. He says same attitudes or same orientation. Right. He says same loves. And then he said, thirdly, be full accord, be a full accord and with one mind. This is being one in spirit and in purpose, full accord, being one in spirit and in purpose. That means that we have the same desires. We got the same objectives. We have the same attitudes. We love the same things. And as a result, we have the same priorities, which is why like a statement of faith or core values or those little things, those things come to a spot where we say, yes, hey. This we believe we're about these things. We're on the same priority. We're doing the same thing. All that other stuff. We're working at the same goals. We're using the same methods. Not only do we love the same things, but those things are more important to both of us than any of our own personal preferences or comforts. That's when we're working. That's what that's when it's becoming practical. When. Our main goal, which is to make disciples of all peoples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that he has commanded and realizing that we're going to do that until Christ comes. The church has been doing it for 2000 years and that's all that we're to do. Then we can disagree about where we meet and how we meet and all those things because we have the same priority and goal. So if you do something to slight me or I do something that insults you or irritates you. Our relationship will handle it just fine because we care way more about what God cares about. The progress of the gospel than we do about our own pride. Again, he backs this all up with be humble. Yeah. Humility. Yeah. Charles Spurgeon. You need humil- humility before you can ever have harmony. Here's the big idea for the day and we can be done. As the unified people of God, we seek unity, not uniformity in all things and at all times. As the unified people of God, we seek unity in all things and at all times. Again, it should be simple. And I really genuinely hope that most of you can go and preach this message when it's 
I'm not going to put nobody on blast, but I want you to know, like, we have conversations and we talk openly with one another. And there's members of, of our church who literally said, like, yeah, I was talking to someone. They told me I could never be in anything other than a homogenous church where everybody's the same as me. Thinks like people, some people actually feel like they would never want to be a part of something that sees unity as the goal, but not uniformity. That's why we're intentional about identifying as a multi-ethnic church. It's not because we have this ambitious goal. I want to leave you guys with something. I'm going to actually write it out later and just maybe post it on um, the, the, the video that we'll do behind this or in our church center app. But a couple years ago, a few years ago, I was a part of a team who was kind of tasked to come together and define what do we mean when we say a healthy multi-ethnic church? Here's the definition that we came up with. The definition of a healthy multi-ethnic church is, and don't try to write this down, Cassie, all right? I'm going to give it to you later, I promise. <laughs> it's one in which diverse ethnic and economic backgrounds commit to five things. Number one, they walk, work, and worship God together as one to advance a credible witness in the world of God's love for all people. Number two, they recognize, renew, reconcile, and redeem broken relationships, both interpersonal and collectively. Number three, they establish equitable systems of responsible authority in the church, leadership in the church, governance and accountability within the church. Number four, they advocate and advance justice, mercy and compassionate work in the community. And fifthly, a healthy multi-ethnic church embraces the tension of sound biblical theological reflection and applicational relevance in our increasingly complex society. It's a lot of words. But let me make it shorter for you. Growing out of our message today, love the same things, care about the same things, and have the same attitude and orientation in life. Be one. The state of being unified or whole, even though you're comprised of various parts. That's the message. We are one. So by God's grace, we'll be one. We pray with me, please. Father, we thank you that you answer Christ's prayer and that the global, timeless, extending even back before, for all time, the people of God is a multi-ethnic, unified body of those who have placed their faith in Christ and Christ alone. Thank you that in your master plan, you would actually become a man and come to the world and die as a substitute to reconcile what we lost when Adam and Eve disobeyed you in the garden. Thank you, God, for restoring our broken relationship with you and our broken relationship with one another. We immediately saw it. Adam blamed his wife. Their, their son killed his brother. Division came with sin. But it didn't do away with what our distinctions are. And in the restoration of all things, you had a wise plan to bring people back together under your lordship in relationship with you forever and with one another. Help us, God, to live into it. We praise you for the grace of even understanding it. And we just ask you to go before us as a local church as we seek to um, to express that and enjoy fellowship with you and with one another. In Jesus name. Amen.
Amen.